Manna or Meatloaf, Episode 76. Look to see. Hello, hello. Okay, I got so much positive feedback from the last two episodes as part one and two. It made me so happy. Thank you all. I had one listener text me and she said, I loved your two-part series on validation and found myself focusing more throughout the first week on things that you mentioned so that I felt primed and ready for the next week, actually looking forward to building on more of my new understanding. I'm so glad. So I'm hoping that with the next few episodes that we can accomplish the same thing as I start this new three-part series on guided imagery. So as a zone therapist for now 22 years, I've seen many people who have issues with their eyes. Obviously, there are all kinds of physiological disturbances that can be found in the eyes themselves, but like other places in the body that emotions land and can sometimes wreak havoc on those weak spaces, many times the eyes can hold confusion or denial or an inability of not seeing something clearly. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes it's an unknown future. For example, it could be a husband who loses his job and is feeling the stress and uncertainty of how to provide financially for his growing family. Other times it may be a mother who is overwhelmed, maybe with the challenges of a teenager making decisions affecting himself or his family negatively. And that can be really hard to see how to navigate all the discipline and the boundaries and consequences. Sometimes it's a diagnosis that leaves people reeling as they wonder what their futures will look like and the futures of their families as their health begins to decline. Wouldn't it be so nice to be able to see clearly in those kinds of situations? While I'd be willing to bet that none of us would decline a genie or fairy godmother the gift of a crystal ball, I guess the reality of this mortal life dictates that we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will have to leave the future to the prophets, seers, and revelators that we sustain, right? And that have the proper authority of that gift and will use it in our behalf. Today, I want to share an insight that I cannot stop thinking about because the word look, L-O-O-K, has been popping up everywhere I look lately. I first started noticing it in the Book of Mormon. Now you all know, because you've heard my thoughts about how I feel about the power of this divine book when we access it daily. So I started it over again, the beginning of a new year, and sometimes I only read a couple of verses or half a chapter or so before I jump into my Come Follow Me study of the Old Testament. So right now, I'm smack dab in the middle of 1st Nephi. And in chapter 11 is where we learn about Nephi how he desired to see the vision that his father Lehi saw. And so he was pondering and ended up seeing the Spirit of the Lord and is shown in vision the tree of life, along with many other things. So the thing that caught my attention was the phrase in verse 8, And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me, Look! Capital L! Exclamation point behind it. And I looked and beheld a tree. Then it goes on to describe the tree of life. Now, I want you to make a note to look it up, because the word look, like I said, is followed by an exclamation point. The word look is its very own sentence. So I was trying desperately to find out how many times the scriptures use exclamation points, because I don't know about you, but I can't think of many right off the top of my head, and I couldn't figure it out. 
Anyway, in verse 10, I think it's worth mentioning that the Lord asks Nephi, quote, what desirest thou? End quote. And in verse 11, Nephi tells the spirit what he wants in this case to know, which is the interpretation of what he'd seen. Verse 12, he was told again to look, exclamation point, and we're told that he looked. Verse 12, again, look, and I looked. Verse 19, and the angel spake unto me, saying, look. Verse 20, and I looked. Verse 24, look, and I looked. Verse 26, look, and I looked. Verse 30, the same, 31, 32, even into chapter 12 and 13, they follow a very similar pattern. So there's a couple of things I want to point out. First, Nephi saw all those things according to his desires. I love that. When the word look is followed by an exclamation point, which as all of you English speakers out there know, is a form of punctuation that follows a word or phrase to connotate, I can't speak English, strong emotion, we feel something, right? So what we read there is very important. It must be because there's an exclamation point and we are supposed to feel something. It was important to Nephi and it's very important to us, those of us who read this account, Nephi was being told to look, and only then could he see. So this fact led me to ask Siri what the difference was between those words look and see. And this is where it gets interesting. The word see means to perceive with your eyes. So to notice something or to take something in with your eyes. The word look is an act of directing one's gaze towards something or someone. Okay, is this me totally nerding out on words, or are you seeing what I'm seeing? Nephi was being told to look or direct or intentionally focus on something to be able to see it more clearly. When he looked or intentionally directed his gaze, he was then and only then given more insight by the Spirit only after he looked or again directed his gaze intentionally was he able to see it. I don't know how many more ways I can say that, but to me it's just fascinating. So interestingly enough, on a side note, the word look is used in the Book of Mormon 88 times. I did find that out. So I want to jump now to the Old Testament in Moses 6, 27, where we're introduced to Enoch. And we learn that the Lord was angry with the people for their hearts had waxed hard and their ears were dull of hearing and their eyes could not see afar off. Interesting. What do you think that means? Do you think it means not being able to see the big picture or not being able to see into the future very well? I want you to remember that because that's part of what I want you to take away from this episode. So then further on in the same chapter, Enoch asks the Lord, how have I found favor in thee? I am slow of speech. And I love how the Lord sets out to help him understand not only why he's taken favor, but how he can do the things he's been asked to do because of what the Lord will do for him. Then in verse 35, the Lord tells Enoch something really interesting. He tells him to, quote, anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them and thou shalt see, end quote. And it says that he did so. Isn't that interesting? So this reminds me of another story, this time from the New Testament in John 9, where Jesus healed the man who was blind from birth. Do you remember this story? The Lord actually made clay from the dirt and put it over his eyes. And then he told this man to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam, which he did and came away seeing. 
Now, you're probably wondering why I'm making reference to all of these examples of seeing or being able to see, but I promise it will all come together. I loved what David Butler said on the podcast that he and Emily Bell Freeman host. It's called Don't Miss This. He was speaking about Moses 5, and he teaches that when God commanded Enoch to put clay over his eyes, he likes to think of it as an element of the earth, so that basically he was saying that he is seeing through the world. Quote, he's seeing his view of the world and the earth and all of the worldly things around them. And then when he's told to wash it off, it's basically saying, take the view of the world or the earth away from you and look at things through a more heavenly lens, end quote. Don't you love that? That made so much sense to me. And it makes all those look words followed by exclamation points come alive even more to me. I like thinking that when we intentionally direct our gaze or look towards something or someone, or in this case, we could say move or direct our gaze away from something like the world, it could actually improve our ability to see things more clearly. Doesn't that make sense? So here's where I wanted to go with all of this. There is something that I've done quite a bit during my years of foot zoning, and it's called guided imagery. Guided imagery is just what it sounds like. It's a method for managing stressful thoughts and directing or guiding them by using visualization exercises to create more relaxing and calming thoughts, therefore creating more relaxing and calming feelings. Because hello, you've got to remember that your thoughts create your feelings, right? It's not as simple as just thinking about blue skies, rainbows, and unicorns when you're upset. We all know how effective that would be when we'd rather pull out our hair or scream at the top of our lungs, right? Guided imagery is a meditative technique, and so it takes intentional focus, mindfulness, and lots of practice. But once it's practiced and learned, it's been clinically proven to help reduce stress and anxiety, to promote relaxation, and ease various symptoms related to stress. Who doesn't need help with that? I so need help with that, and I'm great at doing it for other people. Not so good at always managing my thoughts with that guided imagery myself. Now, there are several different methodologies, but the main idea is to guide your mind through a process of relaxing thoughts that engages your senses, thereby making it more believable to your own mind so that your body, once it's circulating these new powerful thoughts, will in deference start responding positively. For example, say you came home from a long day of work and you're sick and tired of dealing with office drama and grown-ups that act like children. Could the thought of holding your newborn granddaughter calm you down just a bit? So in a relaxing position, maybe sitting or lying down with your palms up, here's an invitation to close your eyes and imagine standing maybe at your son's front door. Could you notice the rusty trim around the doorbell? Breathe deeply. Do you notice the smell of what seems like spaghetti possibly coming from the open window? Can you hear the newborn's two-year-old brother crying over something in the background? Take another deep breath. Breathe it all in. Because in just seconds now, you will have that perfect baby in your arms. The door opens, and your exhausted-looking daughter has such incredible relief in her eyes as she sees you. 
She passes that beautifully bundled little human into your arms before you can even pass the door's threshold and instantly runs off to tend to her toddler, giving you several minutes of pure, uninterrupted bliss with this new baby. Your purse slips off your other shoulder, your knees bend, and you slump deep into their cushy couch, and every tense muscle in your shoulders and back just seem to melt. This baby smells like, well, only a fresh baby can smell, and her skin against your cheek feels like velvet. Can you feel it? The trick is you have to think about every detail just like you were there. Oh my gosh, I'm craving a newborn just as I say this. The goal, of course, is to direct your thoughts to and through something so pleasant that your body can't help lean into it and relax with this new environment, even if it's only playing out in your mind. The power to guided imagery is that it not only helps decrease stress and promote relaxation, but it's also a very effective way of helping you visualize and achieve end goals. How many times have you watched an NBA player, for example, stand at the foul line of the basketball court? He bounces the ball once, bends his knees, goes through the motions of shooting without the ball, and then he bounces it again, bends his knees, and this time shoots. Score! (laughs) Or what about the golfer? We've seen it happen a million times. They kneel down behind the tee with the ball on top just to see the direct line of where they want their ball to go. Then they step up to the tee, well, almost, because they're maybe a step behind the ball. They take one practice swing with the same anticipated movement they've practiced a billion times, then maybe even two, before they actually hit the ball. Every Olympic athlete does the same thing. They go through their routine, their skate, their jump, their dive, or their ride thousands of times before they actually compete. Because they have visualized it down to every last detail so many times, their minds and muscle memory in unison respond. It's the same with goals. If you're interested, Google this phrase, how effective are goals that are not visualized? I did it. I found at least 20 studies or surveys and interesting reports on that very thing. It's fascinating. But here's just a quick mention from one. In Forbes magazine, January 27th, 2016, in an article by Eileen Zimmerman called Survey Shows Visualizing Success Works, She said, quote, if you've ever poked fun at someone, especially an entrepreneur, for creating a vision board as a way to picture success, you may not be laughing in a few minutes. A new study by TD Bank shows that small business owners use visualization to meet their entrepreneurial goals, end quote. So TD Bank surveyed more than 1,100 people and also 500 small business owners nationwide, and they did this in December and January of the previous year, to learn about their visualization practices. In the survey, 82% of small business owners reported that using a vision board as a way to motivate themselves from the very beginning helped them accomplish over half of the goals that they set from that board. Jay DeMarto, who is the head of small business banking at TD Bank, concluded, quote, The survey results show that business owners who take the time to visualize their company are more successful and more likely to reach their goals than those who don't, end quote. 
Guided imagery by creating a vision board allows your brain to see your desired future and is another way to visualize success before it happens. It's a way to look or direct or intentionally focus on something to see what can happen. If only we allow ourselves to see it. Are you getting an idea by now of how guided imagery can work in your favor? I know it can take a lot of mental discipline, but everything worth working toward takes effort, right? I think you'll really find that this is worth every effort in the long run. Napoleon Hill said, quote, whatever your mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve, end quote. So now that we have a better understanding about guided imagery and how and why it can help us manage our stress, increase our ability to relax and motivate our success, I want to challenge you to think all week long about what we've learned here. Start by asking yourself a few questions to determine exactly where to start. Is there something you're having a hard time seeing clearly? Is there a part of your life maybe that you feel utterly confused by? Is there something you feel almost paralyzed by that you simply can't take a step toward even though you'd really like to? Is there something that plagues you with doubt or fear or discouragement that you can't find your way out of, that you can't see the solution to? Remember, one, first we have to look with the intent to see. We have to direct our focus or our gaze on something to be able to see it more clearly. So are we actually doing that? Are we holding our hands open to receive information, so to speak? Are we holding our hearts open as well? Practice intentionally focusing on something or someone else, a situation perhaps that relaxes you. Is it a stroll down the beach, feeling the waves crash against your bare feet, smelling the water, sand, and salt? Is the sun shining down on your bare shoulders? Allow yourself to do some real homework here to find out what experiences you can look to your mind's eye for to promote happiness, calm, and relaxation. Two, if God wanted to help us see something more clearly and told us to look, exclamation point, what would he want to show us? And would it be based on the desires of our hearts? What are the desires of your heart? And can you ask God to help you with an increased understanding about the interpretations of what you may see? Can we remove the clay or the world from our view to see his messages more clearly? Three, can you create a vision board to help drive you to succeed in reaching your goals? Do you have your goals written down? You can't work towards something or even see it until you know what it is, right? And last, can you do some homework on guided imagery for me this week? Can you look up guided imagery audio recordings? There are all kinds available for you to help you get started. I put together a small list of places to find an array of choices, and I will have them available in my transcripts on manaormeatloaf.buzzsprout.com. But just a few include YouTube. Just search for guided imagery and you'll have a plethora of resources to wade through. There's some great information on Rogel Cancer Center at Michigan Medicine that had wonderful frequencies that are very helpful as well. Another one, a Healthier Michigan podcast, Headspace. There's an app called Headspace that's really good. And another app called Simply Being. They walk you through these guided imagery exercises, or you can find or create your own. 
So I just wanted to give you some things to chew on this week, some ideas of places to start. And then next week, I want to share some information on living as if. It's just a deeper look at guided imagery and how really honing in and focusing on and directing your intentions and your energy can help change how you see your own future and help you make that future a reality. Then in part three, we're actually going to do some exercises. Okay, there you go, B. She is our oldest daughter, who is in part largely responsible for me even doing this podcast. And she's begging me to do a guided imagery exercise. I've done several with her before, and it really does help. So we'll see how that one goes. Should be fun. So in the meantime, go have a wonderful week, and I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.